Hello and welcome to the Premier League Nightclub. My name is Damon and with me I have Sam and Woody. Boys, thank you for reading out my research for the past three weeks. How are you? Good, mate. Good. It's good to have you back, even though that was just unnecessary because we actually did all the work, I think, Woody. I think that was a bit stiff. It doesn't matter what's on the computer screen or what's on the note page. It's the person reading it out. Now, listen here. I am happy because of the place I was in to watch, you know, multiple games, four or five games, as many as I could. But... You know, I send a message to you guys saying, you, are, are you watching, boys? And it's it's like 11.30, and I just get no reply. Oh, it's because we were so, so enthralled in the match. We didn't have time to reply. No, you don't have time to watch matches, Sam. You're going to go to bed at 8. Uh, I watched the ma- I was watching matches. Yeah, you know, I was watching four, four you, every weekend. You know what the best bit is? He gave me his Optus Sport when I get, came back because I didn't have time to um, resubscribe for this season yet. Yeah. I used it the whole weekend, and at not one point did he mention it because it was never a clash because he was never watching himself. So I could actually, maybe I should just use his Optusport for he the rest only, of the he season. Only, he's only got it for the mini matches. That's it. <laughs> I like the mini matches. They are good. They help me. The mini, ah. the mini matches are good, but you don't get the full insight, mate. Yeah. 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 Well, that's why you read up on it. You do your research. Well, I'm, I'm, nah. all I'm saying is I'm not asking to watch the 2.30 or the 4.30 games once the time zone changed. Yeah, it's it not a, a hard busy, time. It was a busy week. It wasn't. It was. For well, me, it was. Well, we were all out together during the United game, which we'll mention a little bit later. But um, I was Woody and I, I were sitting in the corner on our phones watching. That yeah. Some would call that antisocial. We'd call that dedication. Yeah, dedication and just being a normal person. If you're not watching the Premier League, on a Saturday night. Do you even matter in life? Exactly. Anyway. Anyway, I, I, I'm, I'm getting triggered here, so let's <laughs> move on. I, Damo, I need to calm down. <laughs> what have we got on today, Damo? Well, mate, it's it's a bit of an interesting one because when we were sitting down thinking, what are we going to talk about? I actually wanted to talk about about eight, about eight of the ten games. Is that a fair assessment? Very fair. But we've nailed it down to a few, and I think Crystal Palace are definitely on the agenda today. Has, they sit has fourth, to be talked about. Sit fourth. Then we'll move on. To the big that big three two win for Everton, I thought that was massive and says a lot about Wolves, which we'll go into a little bit later. And Arsenal hit back against Tottenham at home and drew two two huge North London derby. Yeah, I think Arsenal and Tottenham will be a big talking point we've got, today. We've got plenty to talk about there. We'll uh, we'll move on to our winners and losers, which I actually haven't been a part of a winners and losers segment. I've enjoyed it. Mm, uh, back in the year, yeah, I, I, I actually did. You know, so I've come in here with big criticism straight up, but I will admit it was really good to hear some, uh, some of those winners and losers, and I'm keen to, uh, you know, give my own opinion on take on part those. as well. Yeah, I'm excited, and yeah. then we'll move on. Another first time segment, Twitter talk. Ah, yes, Twitter talk. We've actually had some feedback on the Twitter page. Yeah, we, we, we sent it out to us. the people, and they, <laughs> and we got three broken. responses, <laughs> 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 which is so good. We're very happy. And, no, thanks for that. Yeah, so in future, we'll talk about it at the end again, but if anyone's got some questions, we'll be, you know, please send them in because I don't know yeah. about you guys, I've really enjoyed looking up answers to their questions over the last yeah, few Yeah, we, we definitely did a, a fair whack of research to, to give the best response possible. And also, we've got honour offside. So with that being said, let's get stuck into the weekly results, guys. Take it away, Woody. So Southampton uh, drew one all to United after receiving a red card in the 70th-something minute. 
Chelsea blew a 2-0 lead to Sheffield United to end the game 2-0. City demolished Brighton and, and continuing their ripping start to the season. Leicester beat Bournemouth 3-1. Everton beat Wolves 3-2. Palace down Villa 1-0. Newcastle and Watford drew 1-0. West Ham beat Norwich 2-0. Liverpool destroyed Burnley 3-0. And Tottenham, Arsenal drew 2-0 in the North London derby. All right. I just want to get straight into Crystal Palace. And before we talk about their game with Aston Villa, I'm just going to pop up some stats for you to digest, okay? So they sit fourth. They've won the most games in the calendar year of 2019, except for Man City and Liverpool. Defensively, they've been incredible. They haven't let more than three goals on target against them in any game. And they're the only team in the league so far this season to do it. And keeping in mind they've lost Wan-Bissaka. On top of that, Crystal Palace have kept two clean sheets at home in their opening two games for the first time in 10 years. Now, I specifically remember in our research to like a lot of those practice podcasts we did earlier in the season when we we're talking about Zaha potentially leaving and talking about Bissaka have already left, I, I think I even had them close to the bottom. And I know it's, we're only four games in, but they have been nothing short of incredible. I honestly think one of the big reasons they are playing so well is they've replaced uh, Christian Benteke in the starting lineup with um, not a young but a fairly experienced Jordan Ayew, and he's already scored two goals. Two men of the match performances. Yep, well. he is absolutely tearing it up in their front line and gives them a lot more freedom and pace. I think to and especially a lot more opportunity for Wilfred Zaha to play on the ball because Ayew's a lot faster, and I think. Um, a lot more dynamic than what Ben Teke would be, so it gets a freeze up that front third. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like, but do you think it's solely down to the? Well, you spoke about their defence. So, why why do you think it's clicked for them this year? Why is it a is it a managing masterclass in the first couple of weeks? Is it the? Well, is it or is it more of they've played the good teams at the right time, as we saw them get over a, a battling United or are we reading too much into this as of yet or what do you think? Well, I'm I'm pretty sure other than Solskjaer, Roy Hodgson was the favourite to be sacked, the first manager to be sacked this season. So you mentioned the managerial masterclass. Look, they have been very fortunate in some games. They they scored a last minute winner against United and... Away from home though. Yeah, it was away from home. But speaking of fortune, did you go... I know Sam wouldn't have seen it. Maybe he saw it in his mini-match. But did you guys see Aston Villa get absolutely robbed of a last-minute equaliser? That was a joke. I actually did see that. So <clears throat> that was screw nuts. you both. That was an absolute disgrace. So was it Jack Grealish that went? Yeah. There? yeah. What the? What on earth? He literally like it wasn't. He, a, got sand, he almost got. He almost got sandwiched between two players. Got push a slight push in the back. Went to ground. Passed the ball off. Still. And then got done for start for staging. Yeah, I, it doesn't make sense to me because yeah, like it it, it just wasn't a dive. Like <laughs> it just absolutely hey, got, wasn't got, a dive. He got body checked and taken out. Yeah, he got yeah fully. There was a heap of contact there. Maybe not enough to be a free kick against the opposition, but def- oh, certainly not well, enough. That's like it's that's not even the discussion. Though, I know, it? but yeah. the point is, it's like he. Didn't exaggerate contact, and even when he went down, he didn't just flop to his flop to the ground like we see a lot of players do these days. He still made the pass, which they ended up scoring a, a winner would have been. No, it would have been equaliser, e- 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 and got got done for it. Well, they obviously like straight away when something like that happens, especially this season, people are screaming for VAR to get involved. 
But unfortunately, the referee blew the whistle before the ball had crossed the line. Like, I think it, it, it's not like a matter of like millimeters and they've gone and checked the sound of the whistle, but the, ball, the referee had blown the whistle before the ball had gone over the line for a goal, meaning VAR couldn't get involved because it was essentially just a free kick decision. Like, it, what had occurred could occur 30, me- 30 meters back and no one had think yeah, twice, do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, so like they I thought it really pisses me off though, and it could we probably could have put this into a Woody's whip, realistically. But what I hate seeing and hearing is in game when you see these decisions that are so blatantly obvious that the team whose player has committed the foul all drop their head, they know it's a penalty or they know it's a foul or whatever, and everyone goes in uproar, and then you hear the commentators say, VAR have looked at it and they've cleared it off. Like who are they kidding that they have cleared these fouls off when they are so obvious? It's there for the howler as well, this technology. Yeah, it's it is. There and for like, the what, do mean, what, do, what do you mean cleared it off? So, like, they're just so reinforcing VAR, VAR look at pretty much every decision that's made in the box. Yeah. Every whistle that's they, they would have the looked, They would have looked for the penalty. And like you said, Sam, about it not necessarily being a foul but not being a dive either. And that's what they would have look, looked at if... But I think was it on the edge of the box as well. No, it was in the box. It was in the box. Okay, so yeah, obviously VAR have looked at it, and I don't know whether it's a case of them not being allowed to overturn a non well, a, I, a decision because it wasn't a penalty, but it also wasn't a foul. Does that make sense? Like it it's was probably because the ref wasn't calling for the penalty. Yeah, he was. He was calling for the dive. Yeah, and then there wasn't enough evidence to overturn it. So yeah, you know, essentially, you're saying because it was a, a call going against the attacking side instead of for them, you know, how say it was a penalty situation and, it, and that happened and he went down and the, and the referee thought that he was looking at the penalty and decided not to, not to call it. But because it was, he, his original decision was no, it's against yeah. this team. Yeah. It, they couldn't do anything Can't about it. Yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. Because if the referee didn't give the, the diving decision and the, and called play on, and then that player who scored missed, then VAR could have looked at the penalty and they would have said no penalty because it wasn't a foul either. But because the referees made a decision, their ability to overturn that, it's just it's not in so, VAR's power. Does I, that make sense? I just think the point of the VAR, though, and Sammy, we talked about it a few weeks, Damon wasn't here. The point is it to make these things black and white, but I feel as if there's just so much more grey that's involved now. We're seeing that not only in football, though, but in... Australian football as well with how all the issues that it just seems that the technology although it's there and it's good for the most part it opens up a new door for so many other grey areas that just, yeah. and like that one on the weekend where no one would have suspected something like that would have happened until it happened and it's at that point where you realise crap what do we do now it, we've got that one yeah. wrong it's also a case of like if VAR didn't exist and that exact case happened then people would just be saying, terrible refereeing decision, we move on, it happens. Which I guess is happening, but then, then it just adds that other element. Well, that's, like we ha- as you said a few weeks ago, Sam, which I really liked, we have the technology, we should use it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't think that uh, it almost makes it a double, it, it makes it the decision twice as bad now because mm. we have the technology. Yeah, exactly. So it's not as, it, as you said just then, the Referee gets it wrong. I think on a human level, we can all live with that because everyone's human. The refs are, and we can deal with a wrong call every now and then because the game, as I said, he moves quick. Like, yeah. It's hard to pinpoint exactly what's happened. But now, 
introducing the VAR and having the inability to make a wrong decision right, that cost the goal. I think there's a bit bit to uncover there and a bit to delve into for the for the yeah. And as as Roy Hodgson did say after the game, I don't. He said, "quote I don't think we need to apologise at all for the fact that we won the game." And unfortunately, I think that's where the conversation was sort of left off. And moving on, I reckon we definitely need to look at Everton um, winning in a thriller over the Wolves. We had three goals in the first eleven minutes, guys. What did we think of the game? I I actually sat down. Whilst I was in the middle of something else, uh, I, I put my computer down and I was watching the Everton uh, versus Wolves game. And defensively, for that first 15 minutes, both teams were so poor. Now, I, I wouldn't say you expect it from an Everton side, but they have been um, guilty of it in the past. But for especially Wolves playing away from home, we expect them so tight. Even against the weaker teams, they, they play defense first. So when they turned it over in their back half, with a horrendous back pass and Richarlson uh, pounced, I thought, gee, like, you know, we won't be seeing um, too much of that this season. And then I just want to talk about Traore briefly. Because I know, Sam, you're a big fan. Yeah, what a monster. <laughs> yeah. He absolutely skinned Digne for that, for that Wolves equaliser. Running down the right wing there. And then I think it was Coleman just yeah, it was stuffed up his feet or yeah. something and, and – um, and then Wolves pounced. And then literally minutes later, I got up to go to the bathroom thinking, surely this can't be uh, – uh, I can't miss anything more. Come back and it's 2-1. Was it Sigurdsson whip into Richarlison's head? Yeah, and I just want to go back to Traore. Awobi, Awobi's head. Awobi's head. Yeah, That's I just right. want to go back to uh, Traore. We literally saw the best and worst of him in the space of about 45 seconds or, or however it was. He, he was brilliant down that right side. As I said, left Digne for dead. And then a matter of minutes later, he didn't track Iwobi. And now Iwobi has, has a history of not being able to finish his chances and lacks that, um, you know, just all-round quality in front of goal. All you need to do is put a little bit of pressure on Iwobi and you're going to, like, give yourself the best chance to not concede. So I just thought it was I thought it was really poor defensively, but it was entertaining. Mm. Well, look, we know Wolves play a tight game, but honestly, a 67% passing accuracy for the game probably not where they usually are and mm. not where they would want to be for the game. And those defensive mistakes, um, because of those passing errors, definitely showed early on and I think also featured a little bit in the second half as well. And it definitely raises questions for Wolves now because we know they had such a prolific, strong season last year coming back up from the, the championship. So it's a wonder of, is that sustainable this year or was it... Especially with the Europa League playoff games as well. They've, they've played 10... Con- con- They've played 10 um, competitive matches this season already when most teams have only played four. Yeah. But they are unbeaten in their Europa League ties. You know, they have a um, total aggregate of 14 to three. So no doubt they are banging it in on a global stage, but um, they're only one of two teams to not win a game yet in the EPL. So hopefully they can turn their season around and give us a bit more of what we saw last season because I actually had them finishing sixth. So uh, for me... Pick up the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously, seriously, turn a corner there. Just quickly, did you see what uh, Santos said after the game? It, it just when asked about whether because uh, he had to rest Jota and Matinho and a few others because he'd never made more than five changes to a Wolves lineup before, and, and he did it, and obviously it didn't work. And you just assume that be, because of all the minutes they've played at the start of this season, mm. you'd imagine the international break couldn't come quick enough for them. But he said. I have more than 60 players available. There is no manager with so many options. 
Now, uh, look, I, I, I'm not uh, a list manager of a, of a Premier League team. I'm, that's not really my area of expertise, but I'm pretty sure you... You can't really just have 60 players to choose from. I'm not really sure. Right, probably have 60 players, including loanees, but I don't know if that's 60 yeah. active. Yeah, oh, is that is he including academy players? Yeah, I'm not really sure what he meant by that, but I, I think his main point was that they're yeah. not going to use Europe as an excuse to drop off in the league, which is which is really good because, uh, to be honest, Burnley did it about two years ago. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sick and tired of these teams coming up and then coming straight back down because they can't deal with the um, fixture fixturing um Well, the of pressure of, of coming up like a Wolves, getting to the Europa League and having to play that those games as we were talking about and then seeing that decline because they can't maintain their sort of form as you were just saying. So you hope that they can get it back together. And Nuno Santo, as we know, is quite a good manager from what we saw last year. So mm-hmm. I, you back them in to, to lift their form, but then again, who really knows with the Premier League? Yeah, it's, it's exciting. We're, it's weird. We're only four weeks in and yeah. this is all happening. And... Speaking, who, would, yeah, who would have picked uh, buddy Crystal Palace to be fair? Yeah, I know. That's just insane. Well, now to the big one of the week. Huge. Massive. North London derby. Derby. It was... Uh, it, I just pose a question. Was it a two points drop for either team or did both teams take a point? I, I honestly look at it more so as Arsenal dropping the two points just because I thought that the way they... Defended early on really cost them. They made a few costly errors with David Luiz overcommitting and then Jacker overcommitting again. And they just seemed to have a lot of gaps early on, which when you've got a front three, as we're seeing to be as dangerous as Lacazette, Pepe and um, Aubameyang, sorry, and with Gintuzi, who's seriously informed, they had a lot of chances to win that game and they just didn't because they were two goals down early on. I think I'm on the flip side, Sammy. Uh, sure, Arsenal did conceded some ridiculous mistakes that led to Tottenham goals. But at the end of the day, Tottenham were 2-0 up. So Poor game it is, it is a good. That's a good, that's a good the way. The goal just it. before halftime from Lacazette, which was a beautiful uh, game, control, game control game and finish. Fantastic goal. Control and finish. It, yeah, it changes everything. If Spurs go up 2-0, you'd back them with their maturity, their experience, to be able to play out that game. And Yeah, well, to be honest, they conceded a third, but it uh, was deemed offside in the build-up. But, like, they could have easily lost it, as you said, Sam, from yeah. 2-0 up. And I think... Um, so do you think fair outcome for the game? I think on the balance of things, as you said, it, as I said, Arsenal shouldn't have been 2-0 down and Spurs shouldn't have blown a 2-0 lead. So, yeah, I think fair enough when you come to it. But I think... Actually, I think think, I think both teams take think, that and move on. Yeah, I think they'd both yeah. cop it and both had the opportunity to take the three points. Someone that was definitely desperate for a win was none other than Harry Kane, who in the, <laughs> in the final minutes of the game looked for a penalty. And oh, that was horrendous. That it was. was. He, has a hist- he has a history of looking for the contact. Yeah. Do you think it's a reputation now rather uh, than history? Uh, I Well, especially after all the talk in the media this week, I think you have to... Yeah, they were really getting It's become it. a reputation now. It's definitely not a, a name you want to hold for yourself, but nevertheless, Harry Kane has dominated this fixture in the previous years. Sure he has goal. scored 10 goals in 10 London derbies. So, question for you guys. Do you know who the second player is? The second in the London derbies? The, no. se- the second highest scorer in the North London derbies. In history or just... History. history. Uh, I'll go Thierry Henry only just because it's the obvious answer. But... Close. Not uh, really. Uh, I think he's about fifth. Right? No. Nah. Dennis Burke. Emmanuel Adebayor. Oh, because he played for both teams. He played for both teams. I knew I'd get you guys on that one. Did he score more than 10, did he? He scored eight. Eight in 13. Oh, well, yeah, second. Sorry, my bad, but jeez. Yeah, that's berserk. Yeah. 
How good is that? Buy all. <laughs> what the hell? Well, he, he did play for both, so it definitely helped the conversation. Absolute pace. scenes when he scored and yeah, ran down to the away, away side. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I love the Premier League, but you just don't see enough of that anymore. Oh, you just need a bit more prick in, in, that's in probably, the players. That's probably finable these days. Oh, yeah. No, oh, could you imagine what, oh, the, the away section? Imagine if they let Aubameyang do what Aubameyang loves doing in celebrations. He, he brings out masks and things like that. I think it's fantastic and, and until it happens let, against my team. But you just wish they would let them continue to do that. Yeah. I know in the Bundesliga, Aubameyang was notorious for wearing a Spider-Man mask. I think it yeah. was. Yeah. I'm pretty sure um, Aubameyang did in the Europa League last year. I can't remember what he – I think it was Black Panther. That's what it was. Yeah, it was yeah, Black that's right, that's right. yeah that's it was Black Panther. Yeah. yeah, I think Alba being Alba, and another thing is Xhaka being Xhaka had another horrible game. Um, thoughts, Damo? Well, I don't want to go into it too much because it will get mentioned in Twitter talk quite a bit. So I'll keep it vague here, and then we'll go deep, deep analysis for the people later on. But I just, I don't know why. Shaka is being played as I don't know. Are they playing him as a number six to break up that they are. that build up from the other teams? Because he has a history of um, giving away penalties like he did again. The fouls are just so many. He picked up two red cards in his first season, and, and I think it was about ten yellows or something in his first season at Arsenal. And so he's built a reputation straight away. And I, I thought Ganduzi was clearly man of the match. Uh, in the derby on the weekend. And I just, uh, again, I'll go into it a little bit uh, later, but that Ganduzi pass to Aubameyang for the equaliser, for me, just summarises what Ganduzi can do. And it just means like, why do you need Shaka? Because you have Torreira sitting there as well. He's so creative, Ganduzi, isn't he? Yeah. On the ball, he looks quick, agile, passes, moves. Chance. He's earned himself a uh, call-up to the French national team for the first time really? as well. Because yeah. Pogba was out injured? Yeah. Oh, good on Yeah, so I think one thing about Xhaka is that he gets very flustered on the ball. So the way that Arsenal are playing, um, it's just hard for him when he's got the ball at his feet to, um, I guess, wait off that pressure, which is what a number six needs to do. He needs to kill that play and get the ball out of those sort of areas to build up the attack. But... He just gets not scared, but he just gets way too flustered on the ball. Does um, well they've got that. Have they got the midfield three? Don't they? Yeah, they do. And usually, especially against the um, stronger teams, Emery likes to play that defensive press game, doesn't he? Again, especially against the um, like push up against the fullbacks. Yeah, he does. So if you imagine Xhaka sitting as the number six defensive midfielder. You've got Torreira and Genduzi, who essentially push out wide to the wings and pressure the opposing fullbacks so they can't get that overlap. So essentially, the opposing fullbacks have got one midfielder and one fullback pressing them. So there's no way for them to get that overlap and quick, um, quick uh, rebound because what's happening is that they're getting pressed so far back. So the defensive line is continually getting pushed back into the def- defensive third. But what's happening is with Xhaka on the ball as that six and essentially the pivot in front of the two um, the two centre-backs, he's getting two flusters. So as soon as he mucks that pass, there's essentially four on three. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's so outnumbered. Yeah, yeah. Because the midfielders are pushing so far ahead, they're not marking, for example, Son, at Son and Ericsson who are behind them. They're marking the fullbacks to create that wing play. Yeah. So when they get caught out through Xhaka's bad pass, which we saw... Xhaka gets flustered and he committed the foul, which led to the penalty. 
Well, I think, and even in the first goal as well, you saw how open that became for Spurs. They literally ran through. It was like Ericsson had the like a, just the most open thing to come in, get the deflection, and put it straight. And that's through. Emery's game plan, though. He's playing reactionary to game, to other teams, where I think he needs to be more proactive. And because Arsenal are better playing openly free footy, they have to take that by the scruff of the neck and play that way rather than trying to revolve around another team's tactics. The, the team's good enough to play by play their own way and yeah. dominate a game. I think that, that midfield is incredibly hard-working as well. You'd have to say it's one of the more hard-working midfields in the league. And I think that's why Ozil doesn't get played because Emery loves that hard-working midfielder. Um, so I just want to talk about Spurs on the other side of that. Um, a real interesting thing for me was that they played Sanchez at right back. Yes. Now, we know they sold Trippier uh, during the off-season. To Atletico. Yeah. And it's sort of like there was a lot of criticism on Winks during the week, which I thought was warranted at times, but you got to give it a little bit of context. Sanchez at times was sitting inside the box when Arsenal had possession down that left-hand side or his right-hand side, depending on which way you look at it. And Suzoko had to essentially play as another right back. And this is why Arsenal won the possession, uh, as well as what Woody just said earlier, 55% to 45%. Now, Arsenal in the past, they're not a high-percentage high team. They like to play end-to-end, but they don't dominate the ball, especially against the stronger teams. Um, like obviously, against weaker teams, they, they tend to do it just because of um, you know, basic manpower. But once Suzoko runs down to that right-back right position and covers for Sanchez, it leaves Winks... Isolated. N- yeah, pretty much by himself. And you're asking him to make a pass, break up the play, and... I think you're asking a lot of him. He's not a big, big guy. He's quite small. Yeah. yeah. And like, it's not his game. So I felt a little bit sorry for him on the weekend. Look, he wasn't fantastic and I'm sure he could have done a lot better, but I can't, I, I think it's uh, too naive to just sit there and say it was a poor performance because I thought it was uh, a team poor performance. It was interesting that they persisted with Sanchez at right back instead of going with a three back or putting Suzoko at that right back position from the start. Another thing I wanted to touch on just about the Spurs' defence is that in the, in the past two games against City and Arsenal, they've led on 50 shots at goal, That's... which is just an astronomical, astronomical number to have 50, a combined 50-plus shots at goal against two sides. Now, I don't care if City is the best team in the league or Arsenal is also a strong team. That is just so bad defensively and something that going forward Spurs have to clean up. Well, I think one thing, and it's definitely been a common theme over the last few seasons, is the mentality of a Spurs team. And it's something that Pochettino has really struggled with as well because it seems like when the pressure, when they're under pressure, they really start to crack. And that's essentially led to their demise last season and led to their fall down the ladder because they were title favourites come, what, Christmas? Oh, oh, a bit, a bit oh, earlier than that. Oh, bit early, but they were there. Yeah. They were there. And I think just that mentality game, they need to fix that because if they're, if they're cracking under this pressure, and Arsenal are not going to win the league, let's be real, this season. Neither of those teams are, to be honest. Exactly. They're not even close. If Tottenham want to be there, they can't be conceding this many shots to teams that are contenders as well. Because it just, it just exposes so much defensive vulnerability and puts way too much pressure on the back four. And the keeper. And the keeper as well. Yeah, spot on, lads. I reckon we've nailed nailed that there for the weekly uh, big talking points. Alrighty, my first go at winners and losers. 
Cookie, kick us off. So my winner of the week is Manchester City. They won 4-0 against Brighton and they just continue on their way to dominance of the Premier League. And it's good to see that Liverpool are getting challenged and there's some sort of challenge at the top of the table because we know that Tottenham and the other teams are proving to... That gap is just proving to get bigger. So it's good that there's still a bit of competition in the Premier League between the two best. Scored 14 goals already this season, Sammy. Huge winners. Absolutely. So my my winner of the week is Sheffield United. The Blades, baby. You're on board. I'm loving them. I'm loving them. Have you bought their jersey yet? Uh, (laughs) I'm going to. I'm going. Still picking out. I'm not sure who to get yet. Um, Hopefully, old mate Billy Sharp. But, you know... Grab another point, and the Sheffield train is absolutely rolling. My winner is Leicester City. Now, I don't mean to toot my own horn, but I did say in the first uh, episode that Leicester were going to finish in the top six. I might have been not nice enough. They're going to finish in the top four at this rate because everybody else is rubbish. (laughs) The Vardy party is well underway. That counter-attacking goal, which was our goal of the week on Instagram, make sure to check that out, was unbelievable. Leicester are my winners. Sammy, who got for loser? My loser is Manchester United. Um, one all against Southampton is just not good enough. They for needed them. to bounce they back. They needed to they? bounce back after their embarrassing loss last week. They need to bounce back next week. I mean, it's, they're just doing a lot of bouncing at the moment that they need to do. So, not good enough from United. Woody, who you got? Mate, mine is not a team, but actually a player this week. I've got Kurt Zuma. He has been directly involved in two goals conceded for Chelsea already. Uh, and it's only four goals in the season, and he scored an own goal on the weekend. So pretty bloody woeful from him. My loser of the week is Wolves. We've touched on them quite a bit already, but I just wanted to say, like when when you're playing Europa League and haven't won a game for the first month of the season, it's just not a pass mark for me. I, I have no excuses, and I think they really uh, need to get their action to gear after the international break. Now straight into on or offside. Sam, can you kick us off? I can, Damon. So I'll go first to the big boy, Woodpin. Daniel James is an early contender for signing of the season. Onside, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Three goals in four games, clearly United's best attacking threat on the weekend. He is bought to to score goals. Uh, Clearly could have had a few more assists as well. Nice. So, Damon, one to you. Sevilla should be favourites for the Liga. Bit of a random one. Well, now that they've got the big big man, or the small man, I should say, Javier Hernandez up front, um, he's left West Ham for £8 million. My boy, I'm very upset about him leaving the Premier League, but I'm excited to see what he can do in uh, La Liga. He did, he did have a short spell at Real Madrid, actually, so he caused some damage there. But if we're being realistic, it's probably an offside. And I think despite Barcelona and Real Madrid being their usual uh, powerhouse uh, teams, I think Atletico have uh, shown some really good form early and could be the favourites. Uh, new signing, Jao Felix. Scored an 84th minute winner already and assisted in the 94th minute as well. I think it's uh, looking good for Atletico. All right, now I've got one for you, Woody. Chelsea's second half performance on the weekend was almost as poor as Sam's. Um, I'm tempted to go mine onside. No, no, I'm tempted to go offside, but I'd say Sam's was worse. Um, so Chelsea fell apart at Stanford Bridge on the weekend. However, Sam, same time at my birthday drinks on the weekend incredibly embarrassing performance. Mate, you were harassing everyone. Acted like an absolute Dickhead. imbecile. Dickhead. I was fine. No, you nah, weren't. thought you were really poor. You right. both were boring. So no, you weren't, mate. You literally, you were literally trying to force everyone. You, you were forcing everyone to do things that you wanted to do. Because you were all boring. No, because you were you were just too excited for the night and you should have gone somewhere else. Probably. Horrendous form. Anyway, I'll Sam. next time. Liverpool should be a little bit concerned over a goal-hungry Mohamed Salah. 
Offside, Damon. Uh, Mo Salah has been scoring goals like for fun for the last two seasons. I saw the incident where Mane got angry at him and Klopp seemed to erupt at the, on the bench. I don't think passing to Mane would have resulted in 100% a goal. So oh, yeah, I guess you could say that. Maybe clear sweaty, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think I don't I don't think it was that clean cut. So Salah, yeah, probably should have passed it, but no, I think he's paid to do what he does. Fair enough. So Woody, I've got another one for you, mate. Yep. Pep Guardiola loves to play the victim card. Uh, heavy onside. Uh, Laporto went down at the end of City's match against Brighton. And Pep said that the injury doesn't look good, and, and then he goes um, saying that we, you know, something along the lines of we can't afford it, like other teams um, can afford it. I don't know. I think I honestly think he's just talking dribble. I uh, did the same thing at Bayern Munich, um, played the victim, won the treble for the first time in history, and then then he stated that they can't compete with the top teams in Europe. I don't know. He uh, to me, he's playing a bit of a scapegoat, and he's the victim of his own standards. He can't keep up with what he's preaching. So, Sammy, I'll throw one right back at you. Serie A should be embarrassed with the way their league has responded to crowd behaviour. Heavy onside, Woody. We spoke about it a couple of weeks ago in the Premier League, the racism happening, and we've seen the backlash of that. It's just the Serie A seems to be, and especially that club, Caligiri, it's unacceptable. It needs to stop. The Serie A needs to start banning fans. It's 2019. It's 2019. It, I, I, don't, I can't fathom why it's still going on. And the Serie A really have to come down on it. And they should be embarrassed that this is happening. And Calgary should also do something about these this specific sort of section of fans, I believe it is. I've even seen like you know one or two videos pop up. So they know the, who these people are now. Oh, absolutely they do. And they, it needs to stop. Like that banning memberships, cutting just do something, get it out of the game. No one likes it. It's make, making the whole country look bad and, and to, the, to the world, really. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Now, on to the people's segment. We'll call this one. Twitter talk. Twitter talk. <laughs> our, uh, well, our first question that we're going to answer in the Premier League nightclub's history, so big moment here, is by L.F. Proughton. And he asks, with the recent success of the Arsenal front three, are they now considered the league's most dangerous, dangerous forward line? What do you reckon, Damo? Uh, well, my initial reaction is a flat out no. Yeah, agreed. But... They're not far off. They're in the top three. Yeah, I, th- I think like straight away we can rule out United, Tottenham, Chelsea, and I don't know if we want to add in Leicester and stuff. They're yeah. just there's no one close to uh, Arsenal from that perspective. So, but yeah, I'd say Liverpool number one still with Firmino, Sane. No, Firmino, I, Mane. No, I'm not. No, City you're, number you're one. Putting Sterling, Agu- actually, yeah, to be fair, Sterling, Aguero. Well, and, all right. Yeah, and, and Myers or Silva. Yeah, all right, I'm, we'll, we can uh, put forward our cases, but I just want to put something out there. Liverpool, Liverpool's front three, they've uh, Salah, Mane and Firmino have scored 169 goals in 115 matches between them since August 2017. That's, that's why they're the best. That's 1.5. <laughs> that's an average of 1.5 per game just for three players. Some teams don't even score 1.5 per game. Yeah. Come on, Woody. All right, so... My argument is that City have averaged 2.7 goals per game since the start of 2017. And a couple of seasons ago, they scored 106 goals. Liverpool next best with 2.3 goals per game. So over the course of 100 games... Can, I just, hang on, can I just repeat the question though? Best front three. Yeah. I reckon the yeah. best so if front three yeah, so if you're consist- as a little party of people would be... No, Salah. okay. So Mahrez has been there one season. Okay. Yeah. If you look at the front three of Aguero, Sterling... And either Sane 
or silver. Let's put silver in there. So let's Is this Bernardo Silva? Bernardo Silva. So we're talking a top f- uh, front five now, are we? No, no. I'm talking about So it's three. easier to score more goals when you've got five players compared to three players. Though, isn't it? Let him finish his point. <laughs> you may, you, okay, you may as well pick three of the best players out of every team. Say, oh, okay, let's look at the top three players of every team. That doesn't reflect the rest of the team. If you look, if you look at City, they're predominantly... Predominantly is Aguero, Sterling, and Bernardo Silva. That is their predominant front three. Okay, Liverpool have no depth. City have ridiculous depth, and even more so that those players that play across the front three, like Silva and Mares, they can drop back and play centre mid next to De Bruyne or Fabinho. Oh, so not Fabinho. So, are you saying that Origi doesn't count as depth? He's a good player. Yeah, but he's okay. He, all right, just Origi on the level of Bernardo Silva or Myers. No, but oh, there you go. That's what I'm saying. But, That's what I'm saying. All right, so we're, I we're, thought we were talking top three. If so this is where I'm confused. If as a three, we're going to answer the question: Can we say City have the most uh, dangerous attack, but Liverpool's front three are better? But if injuries were to hit, City would. Definitely be the better attack. I, th- I think that would That's be fair. the better attack. Yes. Even though, well, we've sort of drifted off the question here. That Arsenal third. I mean, that, <laughs> uh, one of their players hasn't even scored a Premier League goal, and Aguero has scored 170. Yeah. So I'm not willing to put them even close. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, we'll move, move on to the next question uh, from at Horton 96 Horton. <laughs> he asks: Granite Shaka is a controversial figure at Arsenal. Is he still captain material and important to Arsenal's game plan this season? Or is he now just a liability who doesn't quite fit in? We talked about this a little bit earlier, did we not, Sammy? We did, and I think it's hard, especially after his most recent game, to uh, sort of make a case for him being anything but a bit of a liability on the pitch at the moment. I'm sure both of you would agree with me saying that, especially uh, with how well Kunduzi and Danny Sabellos is looking at the moment. So... Where do you see him, Damon, and why does he keep starting? Well, I think uh, from an Arsenal perspective, he certainly is that pace setter in the team. Well, that's what his role is. Um, on the weekend, he touched the ball. He, he made 69 passes, which was the most on the field uh, behind Ganduzi with 58. But Ganduzi was miles better than him. I think that was the general consen- consensus, at yeah. least. I think... There's certainly been a tactical shift over the past three years uh, at Arsenal. Uh, fun fact is that uh, Arsenal have sold 80% of the players that Wenger have brought in, that Wenger brought in his last, in his last three years. So I think there's definitely a case to be made that his time at Arsenal uh, is coming to an end. I, mean, I don't want to absolutely crucify the bloke. He's playing a role for his team. But Gendouzi does Zaka's job better. Yeah, he's better offensively at the same time as well. Creates more chances as we saw last week. Gendouzi cut nine Spurs player out with that assist to Aubameyang. That was, yeah. Yeah, cut nine Spurs player out of the equation. And then then if you have that that defensive-minded player, I would say Torreira takes him. Over like takes Jacka as the better player in that instance as well. So it's hard to see where his role going forward is, and I expect him. I think in the next couple of seasons you'll see Jacka leave. Yeah. For a more defensive-minded playmaker, because Jacka is a bit of a not a hybrid, but sits in between the definition of a box-to-box and a and a defensive-minded midfield. He's a bit. He's not quite either, and uh, so I think. Um, if they want to play the likes of uh, Sabalos and Ozil in games, they're going to need that defensive anchor sooner or later. So um, whether that comes in January or the next transfer window, who knows, but I can see it coming very, very soon. And thoughts on his captaincy? 
Mm, not warranted. Not warranted anymore. I mean, we're talking about a manager who made Ozil captain about this time last year. So clearly he's happy to throw the captain's armband around, potentially to get the best performance possible out of the player. Some players react um, positively to that sort of uh, responsibility. Well, who would you have as captain of that Arsenal team? Probably, I don't know, off the top of my head. I, I think... Uh, I'd go with a Socrates or something like that. I don't, it's, it's The centre-back position is certainly one that you'd... Um, could you see holding, even though he's only 20, I think, can you see him given the armband early on? No, only because Arsenal are at a very uh, delicate stage of their redevelopment right now. And I, I think that's probably a fair case. I, I, I actually think Lacazette has that um, potential to be a leader, especially that front three, because you look at Aubameyang and Pepe. Uh, look, this is I don't know them. We don't we don't know them personally. You don't see them as that sort of leadership. Yeah, and but, but I think Lacazette, if he if he could take control and play that um, Firmino role a little bit like uh, he does at Liverpool, um, he could then take the captain's armband with that as well and um, make a real difference for that yep. Arsenal team. No doubt, a captain needs to make a presence, and Jacker definitely made a presence on the weekend. But a positive presence is probably what is needed to that Arsenal uh, squad and a de- delicate squad at that. Our final question. Comes from at Danny Tree twenty one. Well, he's actually got two questions in here, but we'll answer them both. Is jo- his first one is is Jordan Henderson criminally underrated? He's led his team to the Champions League fo- uh, a Champions League win, um, but he's still called terrible around the league. So I think when we look at Jordan Henderson, he's a great person, a great leader of the club, and he could very well be a Premier League winning captain in about eight months' time. Ooh. Yeah, very big chance of that, to be honest. However, if we compare him sort of more deeply to his teammates just on the weekend. Just take the last weekend, for example. Fabinho had 67 passes at 84% efficiency. Wijnaldum had 46 passes at 85% efficiency. However, Henderson only had 32 passes and only at 72% efficiency. So you see how he, he lacks a bit compared to his uh, sort of teammates, teammates is the word I'm looking yeah. for there. But um, no, I think he's... A great leader, but I don't think he's criminally underrated. I think, uh, you know, his mentality is definitely what sets him apart from a lot of other players in the league. Being a Champions League winner, he has to have done something right. Um, And his mentality is probably his best asset because he consistently does the job that he's asked of him no matter where it is or who it's against. We know this season he's pushed more into a bit of a box-to-box role for Liverpool. Um, And fun fact, he's actually won 50% of... His in-game duels, sorry, more than 50% of his in-game duels for the last six seasons he's been in the league. And out of 314 EPL appearances, he's only had one error that has led to a goal. Jesus, that's a big stat. That's a huge stat. Now, uh, at Dantree21 also asked another question, as I mentioned earlier, and this was, why was Alexis Sanchez so ineffective at United? Now, I'll quickly take this one just because I'm It's close to your heart. It is. First of all, the number seven at United has a curse since we gave it to Michael Owen, the bloody scouser. But if we're talking about, you know, maybe more realistic things, when you walk into a dressing room and you're being paid more, more, more than double of David De Gea and Paul Pogba on a weekly basis, the expectation can get to you. Not that he seems like a guy who would let pressure get to him, but it, does, it must have some sort of influence. Also, worth mentioning that Martial and Rashford also, especially when Mourinho was there, uh, all wanted to play on the left. Sanchez, even in a recent interview, would say he'd play 60 minutes and then not the next week. Perhaps he's a guy who needed at least 10 games in a row, although I'm pretty sure he did play almost 10 games in a row when he first came and didn't perform. 
And also the last thing is potentially his age. His last six months at Arsenal were reasonably poor. Um, at the time, everyone assumed it was his head that was gone, but could it have potentially been his legs? So we know that Sanchez, Massa and Lingard could never really be on the pitch at the same time. Um, and two of them can barely be on the pitch at the same time because they just consume way too much space for their teammates and just evade too many areas that should be left um, for creativity and movement. Um, and I guess without uh, push-up fullbacks or just further wide players, it really makes it hard for these guys to move around. Uh, so, Damon, quickly, um, I know United do play sometimes with an inverted winger tactic um, with, a, with the back four turning into a back three, and you talked about a little bit um, of this in the week. Yeah, what, well, what are your thoughts? It's 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 probably not just a United thing to be honest. It's really common, especially with a, a back four. With some teams turn uh, like starting with a back three, but those who kept with the back four have pretty much it's basically just when you have possession, the uh, let's just say the left back has possession, the right back pushes up almost to a right winger, and if they have like uh, let's just say a Sanchez who was playing on the right but wanted to come in, he could then come in and play as a, a second striker or a second uh, midfielder, and then that right back becomes the winger, but. Uh, it's a very effective tactic, but it doesn't work when both your wingers want to come in because someone has to stay out wide. So, Which has definitely been the case with United in the last few seasons. Yeah, because they don't have an out-and-out right winger and when Alexis wants to come in on the left. They're just playing central players out wide, which yeah. is not really the answer, is it? Exactly. Anyway, boys, that's pretty much all we have time for uh, this week. It's been a pleasure to be back from... Oh, yeah, no, I'll say it's it's been a big pleasure, actually. I've enjoyed <laughs> it. I missed, I missed coming to you guys and talking about the Premier League and I... Yeah, I thoroughly oh, enjoyed it. Thanks, mate. Thanks, buddy. That's all right. It's anyway. good to have you back too. Yeah, thank you. A little cutie. Well, <laughs> I um, I do just want to say, can people please follow the Twitter? It's at EPL Night at EPL Nightclub. I don't know how they're going to follow it if they don't even know what it's been called, Damon. It's at EPL Nightclub. It's and a re- the Insta. <laughs> at, we'll, we'll get to the Insta, but I just please follow at EPL Nightclub. We've got some quality content on the Twitter, and you can ask questions. And if that gets firing, the podcast level would go uh, even higher. Through the roof, mate. Yeah. And the Insta as well, at Premier League Nightclub. We've got um, plenty of content coming at you weekly as well. Snapchat coming soon. Of Sam's antics of when he's watching the games. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll wrap it up there. Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you. Cheers, guys. See you later.